Welcome back, everybody, to the Nosebleed Sports Podcast. I am Chris Witt, and with me, as always, is Mr. Adam Schmidt. Adam, how are you today? I'm wonderful. How are you? If I was any better, I'd be you, buddy. Very well. Adam, I got to tell you, I enjoy when you have the computer on your lap. You look so much more comfortable uh, through the Zoom call when the computer is on the lap. Thank you. I, I got to tell you, I, I'm trying. I'm doing that out of comfort because I want to be more comfortable. Yeah. So far, I haven't found a great – I'm not perfectly comfortable yet. Um, and, and the only thing is if I have to move at all during this thing, the camera's going to move because it's on my lap. <laughs> Well, so that's the only that's the only downside. But uh, yeah, I am trying to. I'm actually leaning back, like my back is touching the back of my couch. Nice. Rather than because I'm gonna have I'm gonna have I'm gonna be a hunchback old man with yep. major scoliosis or whatever. I'm gonna be. It's gonna be bad for me, boy. But uh, I'm always trying to catch myself and like pull my shoulders back while I'm out. Like oh, this I'm gonna be so messed up. I can already feel the hump right at the base of my neck. Yeah, right where my right where my uh, sausage rolls stop, I can already feel the can already feel the hump coming. Well, my great grandmother, uh, God rest her soul, died at ninety six years old, and when she was still alive, my entire life apparently she was probably like six foot tall, not really. She was probably like five six, five seven, but Good the whole time I gal. knew her, the whole time I knew her, she was about four eight. Because she walked around with this giant hunch, hunchback, and hunchback Notre Dame came out, and I, the only person I could ever think about was Granny. I love you, Granny. But you are the woman hunchback of Notre Dame. That's uh, I I think that's my future. I'm gonna have a lovely lady hump uh, on my back too. My lovely lady lumps. Check it out, <laughs> humps. Check it out. Uh, speaking of lovely, quick hat check. Love the hat. I, I always, I always like that. Just that plain LA logo, mm-hmm. all blue, plain LA. They don't get all crazy. It's been that way for a million years, and I love yep. that they keep it that way. I, uh, I'm, a, I, I haven't worn this hat in a while because uh, I lost the button on top. My uh, white button on top is gone. I, I think you can actually buy them. I found out, um, but I haven't worn it in a while. But being as we're looking at the Braves just blowing through the entire postseason, and I uh, was going to put the Braves hat on, but I don't like rooting for the Dodgers either. But you know what? I really like Clayton Kershaw. I feel bad for the back spasms that got poor guys got to go through. Yeah. But I need somebody to beat these Braves. So on comes the, the uh, Dodgers hat. There you go. Well – as we speak, they are beating, in your words, the brakes off the Braves right now. They're winning 211-1 to 1 or something like that. Uh, and they scored 11 runs in the first inning. The Dodgers did tonight in game three. And uh, last I checked, it was like 15-1 to 1 in the sixth inning. So uh, that did set a record. The Dodgers set a record for most runs in any inning in a playoff game. That was a Wow, that's pretty impressive, man. That's impressive. Hopefully that lights a fire under these guys and gets them gets them where they uh, need to be now. I got to be honest with you, I really don't want them to win the World Series because if they win the World Series, that's pretty much the only way that either of us are going to win this comedy bet. Mm-hmm. And uh, the problem is, is I'm the one who has to do the comedy. So 
not uh, not looking forward to the old to the old Dodgers doing their thing. That's for sure. I, I think you're safe. The Braves are so good. I mean, the Dodgers are going to win the game tonight as as we're talking. So I, we shouldn't probably be talking about that because whenever people listen to this or watch it, uh, it's going to be way past. But uh, it's going to be at least two to one in that series. <clears throat> and um, but the Rays are are pretty much have punched their ticket in. I, I hate to. I hate to call a series before it's actually over ever, but it's 3-0 now. Uh, so the I think everybody's rooting for the Rays. Everybody's rooting for the Rays. It's a bunch of unknown guys. Uh, you, if you could name six guys, three. if you could name three guys on the Rays team right now, even after watching the playoffs, can you name three guys on the Rays team? I might be able to. Uh, okay, let's go. I mean, my favorite is Randy Arozarena. Okay, my favorite is Hunter Renfro. I love that name. Yeah. I think it's uh, Brandon Lau, which I thought was low, and apparently it's Lau. Yeah, there you Um, go. Is Carlos Pena still play for them? or (laughs) Carlos Pena. uh, No, he's not. Rocco Baldelli still on that squad? Rocco Baldelli so much does not play for them still that he is a manager for another team. Evan Evan Longoria is still there, isn't he? Evan Longoria, yeah, he's playing third base uh, still (laughs) for sure. Fred McGriff actually is over. He's still finishing up his career over at first base for them. And Uh, so is Wade Boggs. I was just, just man, uh, you beat me to the Sorry. Wade Boggs. Uh, it's all right. That's all right. And, you, and Wade Boggs is your guy, too. You love Wade, Wade Boggs. Boggs. Like, yeah, that's, all of them. that's your man. Love me some Wade Boggs. You know, Wade Boggs in Tampa Bay, while playing for the Devil Rays at the time, not the Rays, the Devil Rays, uh, he hit his 3,000th hit. Him and Derek Jeter, I believe, are the only two Major League Baseball players with 3,000 hits, with over 3,000 hits, and hit a home run for their 3,000th hit. And he did it as a Tampa Bay Devil Ray. I thought you were going to say he and Derek Jeter were the only two players to ever hit their 3,000th hit and then take a lap on a police horse around the stadium. Greatest thing to ever happen. (laughs) Weirdest thing to ever happen. I love it. It's so great. That is so great. It's so funny to I, – I don't know if that was – I'm going to have to look that up because I'm sure that information is out there, whether that was planned ahead of time. Because if not, if I'm, if I'm a baseball player – look, I've never been on a horse before, okay? If I'm, if I'm playing baseball and I, and I get a 3,000 hit and suddenly it's my first time ever on a horse, I you mean really – am... You think that was his first time ever on a horse? I don't know. No chance. He rode that thing like a stallion around this, <laughs> around there. Like he knew what he was doing. <laughs> he was on the back of it like a girl on a motorcycle. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord! No, uh, but uh, um, yeah, good, good for the Devil Rays, man. Excited for them, and I hope they all. I I hope the Rays. I can now. I'm calling them the Devil Rays. I hope the Rays get their first. Uh, their first. World Series this year, not only because I don't want to have to do two minutes of stand-up comedy with zero crowd on this podcast live, but also because I love firsts for people, right? Like, I enjoy, like, that's fun to watch a team win their first ever, not just for the team, but the organization, and that organization has been pretty good for a while. They've been run well with pickups and things like that. I mean, they've had bad years, but they're usually 
uh, you know, with this, there's no more than three or four bad years before they come back and have good years. Yeah, they've drafted very well for a long time. And um, yeah, they do things the right way. And they're, they've had one of the lowest payrolls for a long time in baseball, too. And they're, they, they compete in one of the toughest divisions every year because the Yankees and Red Sox are there. Some years the, the Blue Jays are really good because they can spend a ton of money, too, sometimes. Um, but yeah, they're, they're very impressive uh, as an organization. I, who knows? It, almost every year you hear rumors that, you know, if they get sold, uh, they may move because they don't draw fans as good as they are for, for, for that long. They have trouble drawing fans to come to games. Yep. And um, so they, that organization may move at some point, but um, it is kind of cool to see. A, it's always cool to see a, a smaller market do well. And um, so, but I, I'm a National League guy, so and I like I like both the Dodgers and the Braves. So whoever comes out of that, I'm probably going to root for. But I have no problem with the Rays. Um, I, like you said, I I don't know. Like I used to know way more players on the Rays, but the last couple of years I have lost track. And now they're like I'm learning again. Yeah. Uh, watching the the only reason I could tell you Randy Arozarena is because I watched the game yesterday. So. Yep, you heard the name exactly. Right. Oh, exactly. And so I love saying it, but. Um, Anyhow. So with that being said, with that being said, we're going to move on to our first segment of the day. I don't know. Before we get to the first segment of the day, we need to, we, we totally skipped over uh, our sponsors for the week. So Adam, I'll let you get kick the start off uh, the sponsors of the week. Yeah. These are important to us. Um, the training personally with Peggy Edwards uh, is, is a great supporter of this podcast. No matter your level of fitness, uh, if you'd like to be challenged a little or a lot, uh, you want the benefit of working with a personal trainer without the cost of a personal trainer, then training personally with Peggy Edwards is the gym for you to go check out. Training personally is interval circuit training for all levels with a personal trainer at your pace on your time. Uh, Peggy Edwards keeps workouts safe. She keeps them fresh. She keeps them fun. I say the same thing every week, but I'm telling you, <laughs> go check out this gym. If you are looking to get back into a gym, uh, if you've been off this whole time, you've taken the, you know, for a long time, gyms were off, gym, gyms were closed. I mean, it's time to get back in shape. If you're like me, you sat at home working all day long in a chair, eating your own food that you have at home. And when you run out, you can just have more cookies and ice cream delivered <laughs> and at any point, at any time. And I've spent so much extra money on delivery services over the last six or seven months here. It's no crazy. doubt. But um, so anyway, uh, get back into a gym. Go get motivated. It, it, it's so much easier to when you get yourself there. You'll have people there to motivate you to work hard. Peggy Edwards is the person that's going to do that for you. She's really, really good at what she does. You have that one-on-one -on -one attention and you're not paying a hundred bucks an hour or whatever it costs for a personal trainer, but you're getting that kind of attention. Um, 3634 Boudinot Avenue in Cincinnati, Ohio on the West side. If you're anywhere near there, it's worth a little bit of a drive. Even go check it out. All the information you need is on her website, trainingpersonally.com. You can email her Peggy. P-E-G-G-Y at trainingpersonally.com. She's on Facebook, Training Personally. Call her, text her, 513-328-0296. Uh, 
Peggy Edwards is going to give you your first month of workouts for free. She is Oops. running a promotion for as long as just do it quickly. We don't know how long this promotion is going to go, but do it right now because it's worth it. You're going to go work out for free for a whole month and you're going to go decide. Maybe you try it for a month and you're like, maybe this isn't for me, but I'm telling you, you go in there, you get a whole month of workouts for free and you're going to love it. And you're going to want to keep going back and it's not going to cost you very much after that anyway. So you might as well go check it out. Just give it a shot. Peggy Edwards, 513-328-0296. I started to say the promotion and I got off track even with that because I'm horrible at this, but tell her the nosebleed sports podcast sent you there or gave you the information about training personally. And that is how you get your first month for free caller text or any information you need it's all available 513-328-0296 also brought to you by green solace uh green solace elizabeth green is an experienced professional massage therapist who provides you with a massage tailored to your needs whether it's just to relax and unwind or if you need a focused massage on a specific problem area she can take care of that for you as well she is um the the if you're a guy like me and you've always got some kind of soft tissue irritation or some kind of muscle pull pulled muscle today i i was uh in columbus i was got in the shower got out of the shower and i'm you know bending over to to dry my legs off and i pulled a muscle in my back it was terrible it's horrible it's how you know you're old but there are people out there that can fix it and if you're on the west side of cincinnati uh, you can go over to see Miss Green over at Green Solace at 135 South Miami Avenue. She's got a spot there in Cleves, Ohio. You can give her a call, 513-702-4178, and she will take care of you. Or you go to green, G-R-E-E-N-E, solace.com, and you can set an appointment up there. Everything online, clean, cool and ready to relieve stress and pain for you. Hey, I just made that last part up. How about that? How about that? That's pretty so, impressive. Real nice. It is. So speaking of uh, pain, uh, we're going to go into something that hurt me deeply. Uh, usually when we get into the dearly departed, I've got a slight smile and a little giggle. I still am smiling for some reason right now. Uh, but uh, this dearly departed this week, Adam, might have been the old sports player that has hit me the hardest so far. Growing up in Cincinnati, my dad grew up with the Big Red Machine. I felt like I grew up with the Big Red Machine, even though they were well dismantled before I was even thought of. <laughs> uh, the Big Red Machine was as big a part of my household as... Uh, you know, saw my uncles and aunts like they were the, you know, I felt like they were family when it when it came down to, to Pete Rose and Johnny Bench and Davy Concepcion and Cesar, Cesar Geronimo. Uh, who am I missing? Ken Griffey. Um, Tony Perez, you say him. Tony Perez, Ken Griffey, Don mm -hmm. Gullet. You know, you, you keep going down the line. But maybe the 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 glue of that team 
the MVP of that 75 and 76 year when they won their back-to-back World Series, Tony Perez, Tony Perez, Joe Morgan has died at the age of 77 with some terrible, I was reading what it was, it was sounded like an absolutely horrible way to go, some kind of nerve nerve deterioration or something. Yeah. Sounded horrible. So anyway, Mr. Joe Morgan has passed away, and we talked a lot about Bob Gibson and Tom Seaver the past few episodes that we've had and just the greatness and how great those people were. And I don't think – this is another guy. I mean, he was a first ballot Hall of Famer, and I think everybody knows that Joe Morgan – was great, right? And if you think of the best second basemen of all time, I mean, it's kind of hard to find anybody better than him. I mean, you have Onus Wagner back in the 20s, which may be regarded as the greatest of all time. And then there's him. And then the next tier is like, you know, like a Robbie Alomar or a Robinson Cano. And they're so far on a different tier from that Honus Wagner and Joe Morgan that I don't even think it's fair to com- to compare. And Joe Morgan to do it in the time that he did it when there were so many stars in the game uh, through the late – through the 60s and 70s, and even with Joe through the early 80s. Um, he retired from baseball as the career leader at second base for home runs, and he's now fourth in that for second baseman, but we all know that's a different – different era second baseman's hit bombs now so mm-hmm. um you know he had almost 300 home runs at second base he still has the most plate appearances stolen bases and runs scored of any second baseman to ever play the game eight straight all-star appearances from the time he got to Cincinnati in 72 through 79 10 all-star appearances all told uh second in voting in rookie of the year in 60 was it 68 or 67? I can't remember what year he was a rookie. Oh, 63. Sorry, 63. Spent 22 years in the league from 63 to 84. Five gold gloves. Um, one of the greatest days in my dad's life was November 29th, 1971, uh, when they thought a lot of people thought that the Reds had made a, a bad decision and a big trade was made from that early big red machine, Lee May and Tommy Helms and Jimmy Stewart, who not a lot of people knew about, but Lee May and Tommy Helms get traded for a very young Joe Morgan, Jack Billingham, Cesar Geronimo, Dennis Menke, and Ed Armbrister. And of those five guys that came to this team, three of them were absolute – well, two of them, obviously, because they were starters – one was the leadoff man, one was the eight-hole batter. And then you have Ed Armbrister, who was probably one of the best guys off the bench for that team by far. In fact, he didn't always come off the bench. He and Ken Griffey would switch, you know, he would get to start in places a lot for Griffey. Um, anyway, I could, I, I'm going to go on way too much about this, but it was tough, man. It was tough for me. Joe Morgan. Yeah, yeah you know, the two things, of course, when, when – Hall of Famers pass away. You get all the interviews and, and from his peers, people he played against, people he played with, his teammates, people who, who managed against him, you know, all, in, in, even the great players today and guys in the organizations that – because Joe Morgan was another one of those guys that was around 
the Reds organization would go to spring training and spend time with guys and hop into the clubhouse and stuff, especially when he was in town um, to do media and stuff like that. So um, a lot of guys talked about having a relationship with Joe Morgan, even guys who are currently on the team. And, yep. uh, and the, the two things that I think people I saw most from people, you know, posting things on, on social media and, and seeing articles and um, news stories and everything are, are number one greatest second baseman of all time. It, it's, it sounds like most people don't even debate it. It sounds like most people just think Joe Morgan is the greatest second baseman of all time. Um, and then number two, how great – and not, not in this order because most people would say how great he was and then say, but you don't even know how great a guy he was. Like everybody yep. talks about how great and, – and, every you know, most people say that when people die, but it's a different thing. It's a different – you know, the way guys talked about how great a person Joe Morgan was – is a little different than you hear normally. And mm-hmm. at least that's the feeling I got from it because so many people like, you know, made that the biggest part of what they were talking about. And uh, so, so that's the, that's the best thing for me is because like you said, we were, we were huge Reds fans and we grew up knowing about the big red machine because we love baseball and we love the history and especially Reds history. So it, you know, you know, we knew we knew so much about Joe Morgan without ever watching him play. But then when you know, but we didn't get to see all the interviews and stuff every day like we do now. We, we feel like we know Joey Votto, the person pretty well, because there's so much media availability and so many interviews and stuff. And and you get so much access to players, especially now with so much more media. But just being in this era, you get to see all these guys. Um, we didn't get to see all of that stuff while he was playing, but knowing how, how highly regarded he was as a player and as a person, mostly that's, that feels better. You know, that you're like, you hear stuff sometimes about, you know, you know about all these great players and stuff. And then uh, especially nowadays when, you know, the kind of the cancel culture thing, anybody Mm -hmm. did anything wrong or was a jerk at all, you're going to know about it. Right. I, I did not hear, I've never heard anybody speak a bad word about Joe Morgan and quite the opposite. So that was my, that was my favorite thing about seeing all, all the things posted. And then of course, all the accolades, all his achievements as a player. And uh, he's a, he was a a great businessman. He was great in the media. He did Sunday night baseball for like 25 years or something like that, or 20 years. From 1989 to 2010, he, and, and, and for people that are our age, Mm-hmm. right now in their late 30s early 40s um and, and even some people younger than us that's that's the way they know joe morgan they don't know joe morgan as the greatest second baseman to ever play the game they know joe morgan as during the revamp in baseball in the uh mid to late 90s when when it got big again after the strike in 94 monday night monday night baseball with john miller and joe morgan was the one thing that could keep me away from Monday Night Nitro or WWE Monday Monday Night Raw, right? Those that was the one thing that could keep me away from it. And just to get to hear John Miller, who one of my all-time favorite uh, play-by-play guys of all time, yeah. and Joe Morgan, the voice, the the knowledge that came out of that guy, and and you know by the time he left in 2010 was. Uh, 
you know, 10 years ago, the sabermetrics were coming in and he was kind of left in the dust with that because he was always a baseball purist. He always thought of himself as a, as a baseball history buff kind of a guy, the, the history, the, what baseball is meant so much to him. And, and it was just becoming, it was passing him by with the sabermetrics. Mm-hmm. And he was never a big fan of, of the way all that was used uh, back then. But uh, yeah, so that's the guy, that's the way that a lot of people remember Joe Morgan as the voice of baseball for, you know, the last 10 years, that 10 year span or so from, you know, the, the 90 from, from the late nineties through 2000. So. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. I love that. Uh, those two guys together. And uh, yeah, so it was, you know, it, it, if you're a baseball, like you said, if you're, if you're our age, especially for older folks that, that, and you know, so many people who are not from Cincinnati that are in their fifties and sixties and seventies, maybe even are red became Reds fans because the big red machine was so good in the seventies. If you lived through that and, uh, and you were a baseball fan, a lot of, a lot of people became Reds fans because of those teams. So this one hits, you know, the greatest player or somebody you can easily make a case for is the greatest player at a certain position in that in baseball. Um, that hits home for a lot of people, and then especially for us uh, in Cincinnati as as big Reds fans. So, so so, so Bill Morgan won back to back MVPs. Okay, back to back, he won two MVPs. There's a there's a pretty good list of players that have won multiple. MVP awards, right? Like Barry Bonds won, what, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of them. Uh, and he won 2001 through 2004. And then he also did 92 and 93 before the steroids kicked in. So Barry Bonds, taking Barry Bonds out, who may be the greatest hitter of all time, uh, taking him out of the picture. When you go back and you look at some of these guys, I mean, Pujols went back to back. You got Mike Schmidt went back to back. Mickey Mantle went back to back. Yogi Berra went back to back. Uh, I guess there was there was a few of them. Well, that might be it. Jimmy Fox. But anyway, the list, you can go through this list of players that won more than one MVP award. And it's the best of the best ever. He's not the only one on that Reds Big Red Machine team that did it. Johnny Bench did it as well. However, not during the two greatest seasons of the big red machine. He was the MVP for the greatest team during the two greatest years of that team's existence. That's saying a lot, man. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Those years that 75 and 76, those years he, he scored, uh, let's see, 107 and 113 runs. He had a 94 RBIs and 111 RBIs. So he was about a hundred and a hundred or a little Jeez. more. Eats. Um, and then, all, by the way, those numbers as far as – so he, he hit uh, – let's see. Yeah, he hit, for, he hit for average and power. And then, by the way, stole 67 bases in 75 and 60 more bases in 76. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy. And yeah, I'll tell you what, a 392 career on-base percentage, that is – that's impressive. Yes, it is. He yes, it is. a ton of walks – walked 132 times in 75 um i think he led the league i want to say i think he led the league that year um, no in what in walks in, in walks 
Yes, 132. Yeah. Um, so, and I, I remember, um, you know, because Adam Dunn was uh, in, in his heyday in Cincinnati, he was a guy that would walk 100 times and uh, drive in 100 runs. And he, I remember the stat that I think he and Joe Morgan are the only ones to do that in a season um, for the Reds. So, uh, How about as a second baseman leading the league in slugging percentage in 76? <laughs> 576 slugging percentage in 1976. He led the league in on-base percentage so and slugging, so obviously he led in on-base plus slugging. Jeez. But to lead the league as a second baseman back then in slugging percentage is absolutely ridiculous. That's crazy. Yeah, it's, it's fun to see some of these. And, and by the way, one gold glove awards both of those years. So yep. he was the best offensive player and, you know, the best, at least the best defensive second baseman too. Uh, and that's why he won the MVP. Yep. Unbelievable. So without going super deep into this whole thing, that's, uh, that's where we'll leave it for Joe Morgan. And maybe we decided we were going to start doing this Mount Rushmore thing for random whatever things we want to do. We got to find – I guarantee you when we do a Mount Rushmore for second baseman that he'll be on there. I'm not ready to do that yet. I, I feel like we're doing baseball. This week we're doing Mount Rushmore of pitchers, all-time pitchers, mm-hmm. and I feel like we, uh, we need to go into a different direction. We need to keep it moving around on the Mount Rushmore deal. We got to keep that moving around. Okay. Yep. I'm up for anything with the Mount Rushmore stuff. Like Speaking of Mount Rushmore. We could do, we could do sandwiches. We could do uh, – uh, laundry detergents, anything you want. Olas, uh, garbage bag companies, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, drywall companies, uh-huh. whatever you want, whatever you think. Uh, speaking of Mount Rushmore's, though, the Mount Rushmore of greatest basketball players ever, uh, which I don't think anybody would take LeBron off of that. I, I think LeBron is cemented into stone on the Mount Rushmore of greatest basketball players of all time. Uh, and he just got himself another title. Only person with a title with a how how's it go with for that's won a title with three different teams and won an M, and won a uh, a wow. Finals MVP for three different teams. I believe is how it goes. Because yeah. there's some guys that have won for three different teams, but not with the MVP. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So he. That is kind of the big – so obviously the Lakers uh, beat the Heat in the NBA Finals in the in the weird bubble year. Um, and, and I guess that's another thing you could discuss is uh, – although I don't think there's much of a discussion anymore. If you watched all these games, you watched the playoffs and you watched the seeding games and all that kind of stuff, you see how good those games were. So many incredible games, so many great performances through this whole thing. Um, it by the end of it, if you were on the fence about whether this is a an asterisk year or something like that, I don't think you can be anymore. I, at least for me, nope. it's, it, it, this is a every bit as legitimate uh, a championship as any other, um, if not more. These guys went through more adversity to get to this championship than any other year in NBA history for any other teams. Every one of these teams. They have to be uh, quarantined from your family for months, and then if you make it to a certain round, you're allowed to finally have your 
family with you. And some people's families still didn't come because their kids were in school and stuff like Mm -hmm. unbelievable what these guys went through to win this, to, to, to make it as far as they did, no matter what team you're on. And for the Lakers, of course, to do what they did. Um, 17th title is that what they just hit or they tied boston with 16 which what was it i think they're tied with they're tied at 17 tied at 17 now yeah uh so it's it's kind of funny like you because those teams win so much you it's part of why i think some people root for against them or at least for somebody else to win and that's why it was you know it was a little easier for me to root for the heat uh, especially after the Lakers went up a couple games, and then I really just wanted the Heat to to win, to come back and make it a longer series. Uh, and they did. They won. They won a couple games. They won a couple games. Sent it to six games. Yeah. So, but that last game, I'll tell you, was exactly why the Lakers won. It was that the defense that those guys played, especially in that last game, but really all series, even in those games that the that the Heat won, and my and and Jimmy Butler you know had 40 point triple doubles even in those games they had some some possessions where you know especially on those shooters you know uh, a Tyler Hero and Duncan Robinson got so hot for a while there and and they really clamped down on those guys and changed the series and 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 finished it off because they took those guys out of it and you know they still made some shots but they made them real they made some really tough. tough they made it tough on those guys to get open looks and stuff like that Playoff Rondo, playoff Rondo came in on game six, dude. I don't know where this cat came from, but he came in on game six. It was playoff Rondo defense. Kyle Kuzma is a dog when it comes to defense. That man, he, he, might, he might be one of my favorite players on that team because he does a lot. You know what I mean? And it's, it's, it's a quiet lot. Everybody knows Kyle Kuzma. He's a big part of that team, obviously. Maybe the third option, I would say, probably on that team. But – very, very, very good defender. Uh, uh, moved the ball around. Well, I, I, I loved watching Kyle Kuzma in this. And then, of course, Anthony Davis was the best defensive player on the planet. Yeah, I, I think Kuzma was was disappointing for a lot of people offensively because we saw in the last couple of years <clears throat> before LeBron got there and then while he was hurt um, for a long time last year that Kuzma was their best player. And, uh, you know, for a little while there. And, and so uh, he showed that he had the ability to score at a high level. And he, he kind of disappeared here and there. And, and you know, obviously it's going to be tough to, to – Where's he getting his shots from? I mean, listen, he, it, but it didn't bring him down. He still went out and played hard on the other side. And, I mean, like you said, LeBron was healthy this year. AD was here this year. It's a, right. but it's it's tough to find shots on a team like that. It's going to be different, um, but with with a guy like LeBron, I still felt like they probably needed some more shooters. And he had, you know, I, I make yourself available, stand at the three point line, and when LeBron does his thing, and he makes that cross court fires that cross court pass perfectly to a guy like he's standing right next to him yeah. uh, you know that's those are the shots that you're going to get on a team like that but who's well, um, more of a slasher though you, I mean isn't he more of that get to the basket kind of guy so which is which is why it makes it a little tougher for him but so yeah he's, he's got to figure that out 
But, I mean, look, they won a championship, so they kind of did figure it out. Um, yep. And and I'll tell you what, with with Kuzma not being, you know, like a, a like a deadly shooter where a guy that, you know, you got to worry about so much, and Danny Green uh, being shooting 29% from three for the series and, and probably even worse than that in the playoffs, um, I'll tell you who I really, I, I think, maybe not be getting enough credit is Cantavius uh, Caldwell-Pope. That yeah. guy knocked down a bunch of shots. I mean, he really shot the ball pretty well from outside, and he did exactly what I was talking about, it, it, you know, what they needed from Danny Green that they didn't exactly get. Because he shot – Danny Green shot his shots, and like he should, but he just they just weren't making them. He, he, he just wasn't making them. Um, but Kentavious Caldwell-Pope was. I mean, he, he played really well, I thought, this whole series. Uh, and then when you had – and then you had Rondo actually knocking down some outside shots – and playing well and passing the ball like he does, he's I keep he always he's still yeah one of the best passers in the league. Yeah. Love that about him. Love while watching him play for that reason. Um, and then he's so he he between he and LeBron, two of the smartest players probably in the league um, as far as basketball IQ goes. I mean, uh, there are some legendary stories and some videos you can look up on YouTube of of Rondo. Uh, calling out other teams' plays before they run them, like out-of-bounds plays, out-of-timeout plays and stuff like or after-timeout plays. Um, and he's, like, telling his players, his teammates, where to go and where to be and them thwarting a, you know, a, 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 team's, a team's best awesome. player not, and not allowing him to get a shot because Rondo told him exactly what they were just about to do. <laughs> uh, there are some really cool things on YouTube about that, but um, – it was just – yeah, I'm just most impressed by that defensive performance, like you said, especially – I mean, Anthony Davis was so dominant um, on that defensive end. Even if he's not – even if he didn't block 10 shots, he blocked three and changed 50. Yeah, it felt like he blocked 10 shots every game. Right. Um, and because he's so intimidating, he's just so athletic and his timing is so good uh, and he's got that length and he can jump and all that kind of stuff and he's just – He's, he's intimidating on that end, man. So, Anthony Davis, obviously, but can we all agree that the, the, the glue that holds this Lakers team together is the 20-something-year-old balding white boy Alex Caruso? <laughs> I'll tell you what, man. He's a, he's a really good player. He's legitimately a very good player. Yep. He wouldn't be getting 20 minutes a game on this team if he wasn't really good. And he is really good. He's in the right place all the time. LeBron loves him. You can just – like when he's out there, it, LeBron's always telling people to do things, where to go, and he's kind of yelling why he's got the ball. I've, I never one time saw him point at Caruso and tell him to move or do something or go somewhere else. Caruso is all, is always seems to be where he needs to be. They have a good chemistry together for sure. Yeah, and he's a guy that comes up with, with offensive rebounds at good times and – uh, you know, steals and he, I mean, he's, and he's a, he's a, he's an athletic guy too. He's another guy that, um, that can, you know, can run, get out and run with you and um, can make it, you know, can kind of get his own shot and can get to the rim and finish even in traffic against bigger guys and stuff like that. I mean, he's, he's a, he's a pretty good player and he's, I mean, no if the Lakers keep that, that mostly same group together, I think he'll get – because, look, he closed games out instead of Rondo in some cases, even in this ser- early in the series. He was playing big minutes and, and playing fourth-quarter close games um, 
you, you know, at the end of games. And he played well in those situations too. So, yeah, Caruso was really good. KCP was good. Rondo was, was really good, especially in that last game. Um, I don't know what they're going to do about Danny Green. I hope he works his, his self out of this slump. Um, he's getting up there in age too. Uh, but LeBron's still every bit as good as he has been for a long time. Anthony Davis is as good as anybody just about in the whole league. Um, I'm trying to find this stat. You know, they always talk about the best shooters. When you look at, like, the best shooters, pure shooters you see uh, in in the NBA is that is – that, um, uh, 50, 40, 90, or 90, 50, 40, however you want to say it when it comes to percentages, right? 90% from the free throw line, 50% from the field, 40% from three. Anthony Davis did that in the playoffs this year. He was 94%, or maybe it was, maybe it was just in the, in, the, in the finals, but he was like 94% from three. He was uh, 53% from the field and like 43% from three. So he – the, the, the way that he plays that way to be con- like that just puts you out there as just an unbelievable shooter, right? Those are, that's, that's regarded for uh, JJ Redick and, um, and like a, a Mike Miller or uh, uh, who's the guy I'm thinking of. Uh, well, there for are the only like four guys to ever do it. it yeah. That- Steph Curry and yep. guys like, what's the other guy that just that for the, for the, that played with LeBron in Cleveland those last couple of years, the white boy shooter. Um, not Kevin Love. Um, no, 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 no. They, oh, um, Corver, Corver, Kyle Corver oh, yeah. did it one year. Um, but you know, just pure shooters, and then to be the best defensive player on the floor. <laughs> yeah, it's insane yeah. to be six eleven and to step out and shoot. I mean, you know, that's the the way the game's going now. But yeah, he's he wasn't necessarily that at all when he came into the league. I mean, he, he became a good shooter. He can shoot from the outside, like you said, and um, he can, he can post up and you give it to him in the post high or low and he'll make a move. He'll knock down a, a mid range jumper. He'll get to the basket and dunk on you. Um, Anthony Davis is very impressive. And I'll tell you, I wouldn't have been, I, he got hurt at the end of game five. And I think that hurt him a little bit, but, um, before that, I, I would have been totally fine if you gave the MVP of the finals to Anthony Davis. Sure. I, yeah, I, I do think have. LeBron deserved to win it. Thank um, you. I was, that's what I was going to, that's what I was going to say is you could have given that to either one, Yeah. but LeBron came out in game seven, especially in game seven and, and showed the world, listen, I, we wanted to win this in the Mamba jerseys. And they were pretty upset. Him and Anthony Davis were pretty upset at that loss in game five because they had the Black Mamba jerseys. And I think that was something they both wanted to do. Uh, I know Anthony Davis made a point to talk about it. But uh, I think they both wanted to end it that night. And LeBron said, this ain't happening again. And came out and distributed the ball and scored and did everything Mm -hmm. in the first half of that game seven. And it was just in a complete and total – I mean, they – they dominated that game from start to finish. It was a 30-point game, it felt like, the entire game. Yeah, because they had – it was in the second half, I think uh, I think Miami was still in the high 50s or maybe 60s or yeah. something like that. And it was yeah. – I mean, they were – yeah, they, they dominated on the defensive end for sure. 
Um, so very impressive. And, and like I said, you know, if they, if they keep that same core together, um, I don't know if they'll bring Rondo back or not. I, I don't think it's a bad idea to do that. He's a little, you know, he's, he doesn't always show up a hundred percent during the season. That's why he, that's why he has a nickname of playoff Rondo. Uh, yep. Cause he, he really, he really brings it out in the playoffs. But um, I, I, I still think he's a good presence that as long as you're winning and he's, you know, not unhappy, he's great to have there because he's, he's very knowledgeable. He's a great passer. That's, it's always great to have a guy like that on your team. So, so it, the big thing with that is, is winning, right? Is, is that you continue to win to make Ron, to keep Rondo interested, right? You got to keep winning. So my question to you, Adam Schmidt is, Obviously, with Anthony Davis, the playoffs are always going to be in reach for a Lakers team. But with Anthony Davis and LeBron James, who I think, if you don't already think so, you have, I mean, he's the best player of this generation. There's no doubt, right? Can we agree with that? Yeah. Do you, I mean, do you have, is Kobe in this generation or? No, I don't put Kobe in the same I don't put Kobe in that same generation as that. I mean, Kobe's already, yeah, I, I feel even with that, I still feel like he was better than Kobe just as a play, as a all around player. Uh, you take the titles out of it. LeBron, there's, there's something different. Don't get me wrong. Kobe's, I mean, you're, we're splitting hairs at this point in time, right? That's like, it's like, it's like saying, uh, it's like finding your two favorite ice creams and, and trying to put, you know, and comparing them and you're not saying anything bad about either one. Yeah. But it's just, which one is that little bit better? And LeBron's 35 years old, about to be 36. Mm -hmm. There still has not been a decline in his game. Has there been a decline in LeBron's game? No. I mean, the only, the only thing that's different than when he was in Cleveland the first time when he was a young guy is, how much he, you know, his, his, I don't even want to say his athleticism, but like his, his speed and his power and the, the stuff like he was just going, he was just getting the ball and, and going past everybody and dunking so much. And he was getting those like, just crazy. Adam, at you? that time, we had never seen an athlete in basketball like that when he came into the league and started playing like that. And he's still doing that on an every night basis in the playoffs, at least. No, this yeah, not he gets the ball and runs past everybody or through them, really. It's more yeah. running through them. But yeah. it's still – I don't feel like that athleticism is gone. I just feel like the rest of the league has caught up to it. Well, it's, it's, not, it's not exactly like it was when he was 20 years old. But it's still – he still is – he's still at a very elite level uh, as far as all that, st uh, all that goes. I mean, he does, he's not a normal 35- or 36-year-old. That's not a body – of a normal 35 or 36 year old basketball player, especially one that started playing when he was 18 years old in the NBA and started playing that many games from, you know, for, for 17 years now, nine out of 10 years, all the way to the playoff, all the playing all the way through the finals, nine out of the last 10 years, he's played all the way through the finals. That's a million. He's played an entire season of basketball in the playoffs already, maybe even a season and a half by now. And this year he played for over a year of basketball. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Everybody did. Yeah. Um, Not everybody. That's well, yeah. Anybody who didn't make the ball, you're right. 
Um, but that, I think that's what he need, he should get credit for as much as anything in his career is the way he is taking care of his body because that's why he's still this good because he, he spends – a few years ago they talked about it. They, they showed you they broke it down or whatever. He spends whatever it is, $2 million a year just on taking care of his body, nutrition, treatment, uh, all that kind of stuff. So, um, so he, that's, that's the most important part of why he's still playing the way he's playing, I think. And um, it's, it's very impressive. And hopefully he – that's the other thing too is now we're in an era that everybody – that guys have a way better idea of how to do that, that, you know, rest is so much more important. You don't have to – you know, Larry Bird, they're, you know, one of my favorite Larry Bird stories is they won a championship. I forget which one it was, but they won a championship. They were out until like four in the morning partying. And then at like six in the morning, somebody calls Larry's house. I forget why it's so early. And his wife answered and she said, oh, he's out running. And (laughs) he was out running like two hours after he got home uh, from partying the night after winning a championship. And, and And somebody asked him why. And he's like, because I have, like, I want to win another one next year. This is what I have. But now guys understand, no, it's pretty important to take two weeks off or whatever and let your body heal because everybody's is hurting at the end of a season, no matter how young you are, no matter, you know, whether you're dealing with injuries or not, you have to let your body heal. And uh, so, but LeBron does that well and he does all the right things and eats right and all that kind of stuff. So, um, so, but my question for you, Chris, real quick is, Okay, so, well, one of the things is this brought back up the thing that I feel like it's the third time this year it's happened is the Michael Jordan versus LeBron, okay? And we don't even normally like to get into it because I think you and I are both on the same page as far as, like, look, you can, you can argue this. You can argue it a million different ways to make it look like, yep, Michael's definitely better, LeBron's definitely better, um, and, and most for most people, whatever you think, uh, whether you're on uh, LeBron's the greatest of all time, Michael's on the greatest, you're probably not going to change your mind no matter what anyone says. So we don't normally like to do that, but we brought that back up. Has this – you were already – LeBron has surpassed Michael before this, were you not? So – I think I think I probably said that on this podcast. A lot of times, the LeBron stuff I say is is uh, just kind of playing with you, just to, just to kind of get you get you moving a little bit on a, into an argument of some sort. Um, however, I'm, I I hate I hate bringing titles into it, right? And I I you know so and so won this many titles, so and so won this many titles. If that's the case. Bill Russell's the greatest basketball player to ever walk the face of the earth. So, and and don't get me wrong, Bill Russell is great, but he's not Michael Jordan, right? I mean, Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan. We were blessed to get to watch both of these phenomenal players play the game. And to me, they are one and two of all time. I, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. I don't want to. I don't want to say who's better and who's not because, at times, I I say I I I start saying LeBron for the things that we brought up, the longevity, 
but nine out of 10 straight finals. And who knows what would have happened if he didn't get hurt. They were in fourth place in the West when he got hurt and then didn't make the playoffs because he, because they, uh, because he, because he got hurt. So thinking like that, you're like, man, and now he's got four with four or he's got, he's got four, one, two, he's got one in Cleveland, one in LA, two in Miami. So he's got four finals, four finals, MVPs, three different teams. That's insane. That's unbelievable. I want to push him above Michael, but then I go back and remember my childhood and I've never seen anything like Michael Jordan until Kobe came, right? The killer instinct. Until Kobe, you never saw anything like that. And I don't know that we'll ever see anything like that ever again, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. But, I, dude, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Two different types of players, two different players, two different eras. I, don't, I think LeBron could play back then because he's so physical already that he could have played back then. He'd have to do a lot less whining than he does right now. But it's a different era. So, but it's a different era. So he probably wouldn't whine as much as he does now because now he just gets calls all the time and just expects them. If he played then, he wouldn't expect them. He'd just bull through everybody like he did to, to Jay Crowder or what's his name? Uh, to Crowder the, for Miami. Is it Jay Crowder? Jay Crowder, yeah. Yeah, when he ran through him and – Busted him right in the face with an elbow. I kind of felt bad, but Crowder's like grabbing and holding on to him and everything. So, you know, hey, to each their own. Back in the day, that was just a that was just two points on a bucket. There was no and one on that. There was no elbow to the face. It was y'all get back down the floor and keep playing. Yeah. So yeah, LeBron would have to not whine as much, but dude, I I I'm not you know, he said, give me my damn respect. And I'll, because he just did it, I'll go ahead and put him over just for today. But to be honest, I don't want to. I want, I want to have two of the greatest. I want to be able to say the two greatest players to ever play the game of basketball, I got to see both of them play. And I just want to leave it at that. Okay. I like that. How about you? I, I, I think, you know, I'm the type of guy that you don't – I don't think you have – and that's what in like – you know, we're technically doing like sports talk. It's not radio, but you know, you know what I'm talking, sports talk media. And um, the, the big thing is, is that you have to have a take. You have to have a side. You have to, you know, have a, have a strong conviction one way or another about everything. I have never believed in that. I, I think you can be on the fence about stuff and stay there. I think you can feel I think you can you can be you can ask me uh, right now who's better, uh, you know, Bill Russell or Wilt Chamberlain, and I'll tell you one right now. And then tomorrow at at nine in the morning, I might tell you the other one. And tomorrow at two thirty in the afternoon, I might switch it back to the other one. It's you know, it depends on on how you feel, on what you just looked at, what kind yeah. of stats you just saw, whatever. Um, so I'm totally fine with that. I, I like that you just you want to go with we're lucky enough to see two of the greatest ever. And um, so I'm good with that. My very last thing on this, though, is what is the punishment that LeBron James is going to deal out to Bronny for the situation yeah. uh, that he was in a, a week or two? Catching a couple puffs off of Jay on camera. Well, you know, uh, you, 
They're in L.A. now, man. It's California. Well, wait a minute. How old is LeBron? How old is Bronny? Is he 16, 17? 16, I think. 15 or okay, 16. Okay, so he's underage. So, yeah, I mean, at that point in time, you know, Bron, Bron I, you, here's what I think happens. This all happened while LeBron was in the bubble. I think LeBron said, baby girl, whatever her name is, the wife, baby, Savannah, you need to go take care of this. Because when I get home, I want punishment to be over. I want everything to be over. I'm coming home with another ring, another trophy, two more trophies, and, and I'm going to build my, my daughter her own playhouse that's a replica of my house in the backyard. And, and I don't want to talk about this, and we'll just leave it at that. And uh, I think that's what happened. What I you would think? Bet that, yeah, I, I would bet that he already talked to him anyway. It's not like they oh, can't yeah. talk, you know. He yeah. wasn't there, but. He 100% had a conversation and said, do you know who I am, son? Yeah. I'm LeBron James. You are my son. Mm-hmm. You are LeBron Jr., Bronny James, whatever they call you now. Every, yeah, everything you it's, do for the rest of your life is going to be seen. Yep. And it's and, going to be scrutinized by everybody. And here's the deal, pal. I love you to death, and I'm sorry that this is how it is. But it's who we are as a family. We can't get away from it. And our, we are Jameses. Our reputation is everything to us. I don't have a bad thing on my resume, right? Like, I never got caught or busted doing a thing. And we're going to keep it that way, you understand? Worst thing I ever did was drink wine on the way into a game when I was hurt. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And I'm a grown man. So I'm just telling you. I think I'm sure that conversation was had. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if we'll ever find out exactly what that conversation was like or uh, any sort of punishment. Yo, man, whoop yo backside. There's a lot of – I'm going to come home. I'm going to beat the brakes off you is what I'm going to do. There's a lot of of funny stuff about that on the internet right now about, you know, what that thing was going to be like um, when LeBron got home. But anyway, so I just wanted to throw that in there just for a a little uh, funny end to that because – we need to get into um, something else that we could probably spend a lot of time on. I don't know that we will spend a, a, like we could talk for hours probably about this because let me tell you, I was, I was petitioning for when you had the, the excellent idea of doing a Mount Rushmore every week. I loved it. Um, but like broad, really broad Mount Rushmores are so hard, especially for a guy like me who's undecided about everything all the time and can't uh-huh. make a decision on stuff. So for just pitchers, we did pitchers. Uh, <laughs> I was like, can we do just right-handed, just left-handed? <laughs> uh, you're like, no, just pitchers. So I, that's good. You held me to it. And, and um, it was a good exercise for me to, to make a decision and stick with it. So we got, we chose four, the four greatest pitchers of all time who would go on the Mount Rushmore of pitchers. Okay. I want to hear – I know that you've got six or seven, right? You're, you, you don't have the four. Did you pick four? I picked four. Now, looking Let's, through all the information, I have about 15. Okay. I'm the same way. So, let's do this. 
first we will give our Mount Rushmore. Each of us give the Mount Rushmore. Okay. And then, and then we'll, we'll do a little converse. We've, you can't, you've got to have this conversation with so many other people involved. Mentions? Yes. So okay. let's go ahead with the Mount Rushmore. We'll start with you. Okay. All right. So uh, first on my Mount Rushmore, let me, let me uh, pull up my assistants here. Uh, so first on my Mount Rushmore is uh, I've got, so I've got two much older guys and two more recent guys on this thing. Yep. So I, I kind of did it. I kind of did it that way on purpose a little bit, but also I think it, it, I don't know. I just felt good to do it this way. It felt right to do it this way. Um, okay. Because that's the, that was part of the thing is eras are so different, especially in pitching um, that it was, it's hard to, to say one guy over another, you know, a guy from the eighties or nineties over a guy from 1906. You know what I mean? Yes. So but, uh, first guy I've got is Walter Johnson. Uh, Walter Johnson is second all time in wins. He has 417 wins. That benchmark of win number one wins are a, a, a dumb stat for pitchers, except for when you get to that 300 threshold. Now that's the number that you're like, okay, that's this is a Hall of Fame pitcher. If you get to 300, now there are guys with much less than 300 wins who are easy Hall of Fame. Pedro Martinez is one of the best pitchers ever, and he has like 219 wins. He wasn't yep. anywhere close. But when you get to 300, you're like, okay, it doesn't matter. This guy is an all-time great. Walter Johnson has 417. <laughs> Only trails Cy Young, who pitched 7 million innings. Um, so Cy Young pitched six days a week. <laughs> yes, right. And Walter Johnson, I'm sure, did the same thing. And Walter Johnson pitched almost 6,000 innings in his career. Um, but the most impressive thing, and that's, that's why I think wins – Wins hold a little bit more weight when you get that high a number. Um, but the biggest things, now your totals, when you got guys pitching 20 years, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22, 23 years, the totals are going to look astronomical. So, mm -hmm. yeah, Walter Johnson pitched a very long time. He pitched almost 6,000. He pitched 21 years. Um, so he has over 3,500 strikeouts and we know that's another benchmark that 3000 strikeout mark. He way surpassed that, but we're talking about 21 years of pitching. So yep. the averages to me come into play more than, more than anything to pitch that many years, that many innings and have a career 217 ERA. Yep. 217 ERA. A 1.06 whip. Those are the numbers that really jump out to me more than the being second all time in wins and top 10 in strikeouts all time and, and top whatever and, and top five in innings pitched. Those numbers, those average numbers, um, as a matter of fact, so let's see, strikeouts per nine innings, he's way up there too. Um, but, I mean, maybe not quite what you would think, but just the, the dominance that he had. And the funny thing about this is, is looking through this stuff, um, the funny thing about Walter Johnson, by the way, won the 1924 World, World Series, was a two-time MVP. We talked last, last week uh, when we talked about Bob Gibson about how rare it is 
for pitchers to win MVP awards. He won two of them, Walter Johnson did. Uh, won the ERA title five times. Was three-time pitching triple crown winner. Um, the pitching triple crown is another really cool thing, although wins is part of it. Um, but that's still a, a really great indication about how great um, a pitcher is. So Walter Johnson, three-time triple crown, five-time ERA title, two-time MVP. I'm just trying to re- uh, make sure I hit all the all the uh, big ones. So anyway, I don't want to get too deep into everybody here because it's going to take forever. But Walter Johnson is my first one. My second one, another guy back from that same uh, kind of era is Christy Mathewson. Christy Mathewson. Wow. Hold on. Real quick. I just want to say, number one, I'm super excited you put Christy Mathewson on there because he's uh, one of my all-time favorite. uh, I'm a big history buff when it comes to baseball. And that dude, if you go back and look at the numbers, talk about a 2.17 ERA. His is 2.13 career ERA, which is even a tick better than Onus or I'm sorry, Walter Johnson. Um, So that being said, you said you did two pitchers from the old days and two more newer era. Mm -hmm. That means you left off the person who's most known for pitching ever in baseball history. That's correct. The pitching award is named after Cy Young. You do not have Cy Young on your Mount Rushmore. That's right. I do not have now I'm super on. excited to see who your two new new era guys are. So Christy Mathewson, unbelievable pick for you. I love it. Who you got next? Thank you. Yep, Christy Mathewson, I you kind of mentioned it because that 213 ERA, his whip is almost exactly the same. He has a, he had a very similar career to Walter Johnson. Um, yep. Walter Johnson pitched a little bit more. Uh yeah, he pitched a few more years, more innings and stuff like that. But um, like we talked about, the ERA, the whip. Um, you know, Walter Johnson had a thousand more strikeouts than Christy Mathewson did, but strikeouts aren't necessarily something that, that make a pitcher dominant. Um, It's a, it's a good indication. Strikeouts are a big thing. When I, when I look at how good a pitcher is, when I, when I look at fantasy, when we we do our fantasy baseball stuff, strikeouts are a big deal. Um, Cause that's, that's something that the pitcher has the most control over. That's a stat that you can look at and say, okay, this isn't necessarily great defense behind him or, uh, you know, whatever. It's, it's strikeouts are absolutely a pitcher's stat. Um, but Christy Mathewson is another guy that had 373 wins, uh, n- not even that, you know, 40 or whatever behind Walter Johnson, but 373 is, is a crazy number. So yeah. Christy Mathewson way up there with, with all that other stuff. Um, a, a two-time pitching triple crown winner, five, five-time ERA guy um era title and one world series so very similar career to walter johnson my two newer guys probably my two favorite uh in my lifetime pitchers um one is randy johnson all right now you can argue for probably some other guys who you could put on this uh, on this top four all time than randy johnson but he is a guy who now his ERA is not, uh, you know, in the low twos like those other guys. He had a 3.29 career ERA. He had uh, a 1.17. It wasn't down. It wasn't near one. Uh, his WHIP. I'm talking about. But 
Randy Johnson went when he pitched for let's see he and he pitched less my computer is suddenly not cooperating with me but I think he pitched much less years than those guys did um oh thought I had it anyway all right <laughs> but Randy Johnson we talk about here it is we talk about strikeouts Randy Johnson and we talked about 3000 kind of being that mark like wow this is a hall of fame pitcher Almost 5,000, 4,875. He's second all-time in strikeouts. Um, unbelievable. Yep. He had that slider. That was like just, to, have, to have done it in way less innings pitched yep. than all those old cats. I, yep. I, I, I agree with you on that part. Now, strikeouts also don't make you the best pitcher ever. But anyway, right. continue on. He had, he had way more – so strikeouts per innings or probably strikeouts per nine innings is what I should say. But a guy who strikes out, you know, a, a good indication of, and this you usually see this in like closers, um, guys who have more strikeouts than innings pitched. That's usually they usually have pretty good careers. Randy Johnson, it's harder for for a starter to to have that. Randy Johnson has uh, over seven hundred more strikeouts than innings pitched over a over a pretty good long career. He pitched twenty two years. Um, yeah. So he pitched, like you said, he he pitched like a thousand more than a thousand less innings than those other guys. But those guys pitched complete games almost every single time they went out there. Um, but Randy Johnson was just so you know he did hit that three hundred. He had three hundred three wins. Um, I keep talking about how unimportant wins are, except when I'm talking about this. <laughs> but five five Cy Young awards. 10-time All-Star. He was a World Series MVP in 2001 when they, when they beat the Yankees when he was with uh, Arizona. He won the pitching triple crown one year. Four-time ERA title, Hall of Famer. For him to have won the pitching triple crown, by the way, is one of the better achievements because at that time in baseball, he was, um, he was in there with, with some really good pitchers, especially uh, Roger Clemens and Pedro Martinez. Yes. And guys like that who struck out a ton of batters and those guys were always at the top. So that was a hard thing to do to hit that pitching triple crown because of the other all-time greats that were pitching at the same time as him. Right. Yep. I, I just remember Randy Johnson. There's, there's a part of this is not a stat. Part of it is just the living through his career. The mystique. Just, just having that feeling like Randy Johnson was – a dominator and he was almost like Bob Gibson with his intimidation factor not that he would throw at guys or hit guys a lot but he was behind intimidated what's that behind people (laughs) yeah he threw 15 feet over John Crook's head in the all-star game that one time John Crook went bad from the other side there are three (laughs) pitchers that I think about like him like Randy Johnson it's it's Randy Johnson Bob Gibson and Nolan Ryan. Those three cats were three guys that you went because you wanted to see some incredible, uh, just incredible stuff. People just getting blown away by fastballs and over dominating looking just the look of them was, was ridiculous, huge giant frames and throwing the ball 180 miles an hour. It seemed like whenever Randy Johnson came to, uh, Cincinnati, we used to, there are certain guys that me and my dad would try to get tickets just to go see 
certain people pitch, and he was one. Barry Zito was one when he yeah. – uh, a couple times he came here. One time he came with Oakland, and a couple times he came when he was with San Francisco and people. Uh, but just different – just phenomenal people like that, that. That I agree with you on, on Randy Johnson being that type of guy. Yep. Who we got next? My last guy I have is Greg Maddox. Um, if I had to pick an all-time favorite pitcher, I might pick Greg Maddox. Um, favorite, not best, favorite. Um, yep. You know, he's a guy that – he wasn't he wasn't a Randy Johnson type guy. He When he first came into the league, he might have thrown hard. But for most of his career, people know him as not – as a guy that was just had unparalleled control. His he could hit he could paint corners like nobody else could. He could I mean he could spot a pitch anywhere. I feel like if you took a a, a cup or something and held it instead of a catcher's mitt and held it anywhere and, and it was like a cup that was exactly the same size as a baseball, you could not a not an athletic supporter like a like a drinking cup. Um, you could hold it anywhere <laughs> behind the plate. And hold it still, and he could put it in that cup with four different pitches. Yeah, four different pitches, and and he could make it, and he could throw it from one side of the rubber and make it, and and, and throw it and make it land on the other side of the plate. You know, he could move. We talked a lot about so much movement. Man, this guy, I, it's just so fun to watch. He and he and Randy Johnson both, in, they're similar in this way. It's so fun to watch. Um, videos of these, these guys striking guys out where they are swinging at pitches and the bat is three feet away from the ball. It's the Randy Johnson slider is one of my favorite things to watch people swing at throughout. I saw Luis Gonzalez. Was it Luis Gonzalez? I can't remember who it was. I watched somebody. I, there was somebody who swung – at a Randy Johnson slider, and the ball hit him in the chest. Yeah. The yeah. ball and hit I, him in the chest, <laughs> and they swung – they were swinging at it. <laughs> yep. Guys talked about, you know, usually you do – you the pitcher uh, has, a, has an advantage when they're pitching. Like Randy Johnson was a left-handed pitcher. Usually he would have such an advantage against left-handed hitters because especially with his length and he's throwing, you know – 60 feet, six inches, guys talked about how he's really releasing the ball like, like 50, 52 feet from home. Your face. From your face because he's coming from the left side. <laughs> right. And you're on that side of the plate. That's coming directly at his hand is releasing the ball basically five feet in front of your face. And he's throwing 99 or 100. So it's you don't have time. You don't have time to react to that when it's that much shorter a distance and that mm -hmm. fast. That's why you can. That's why you have to guess and swing at a pitch as soon as it leaves the second, the moment it leaves his hand, and it hits you. That's why that happens. And I feel like uh, Greg Maddox could do the same thing because he could make a ball move like crazy and put it anywhere he could. He could hit your back back foot and make it look like a strike until it gets almost to the plate and then have it drop in. It just I just those got watching highlights of those guys pitch is one of my favorite things. We've talked so, about the we've talked about the stories uh, of Greg Maddox and mm -hmm. and the the silly things of people 
you know, him telling – my favorite is the David Justice one, telling David Justice when this guy comes up, stand at the warning track and he's going to hit it right to you, and that's exactly what happens. And Just the crazy things like that, that that's what is insane about a guy like Greg Maddox is he knew what you were going to do at the plate better than you knew what you were going to do at the plate. Yeah, hearing guys talk about um, uh, about how intelligent he was and how well-prepared he was just knowing hitters inside and out and having, you know, just a library in his mind of every pitch he's thrown to every hitter, um, you know, and, and, and fooling guys because he wouldn't throw the, because he's not going to just blow, blow the ball by you. So he had to, he had to throw you, he had to keep you off balance all the time. And that's what he did. He was incredible at it. He could keep you off balance and, and put the ball anywhere he wanted it to be. And some of the some of the uh, achievements: a four four time ERA title, um, four time Cy Young award. All the times those Braves teams went to the playoffs and even went to the World Series a few times. They only won that one in '95, um, but they had he was on some incredible teams. But I'm also pretty reason. sure he won he won every Gold Glove in every single year from two years before he started pitching and like five years after he had already retired. He was still winning gold gloves. 18 gold gloves. That's insane. 18. He Okay, 18 gold gloves and 23, excuse me, 23 years of pitching. And that 23 years includes like the very first year he came up and, and pitched uh, in six games. That includes that. And his very last year where he pitched in seven games, that includes that. So, so basically 18 out of 20. Years, huh? <laughs> 18 out of 21. But yeah, that's, that's ridiculous. I mean, that's probably my favorite stat about him. Eight-time All-Star. Um, just was, uh, you know, in 23 years of pitching, a 316 ERA is still really impressive. 355 wins, so way past that 300 mark. Uh, th- as much as he was for not being a, an overpowering power pitcher that throws – 95 or better all year, all, all of his career. He had th- th- over 3,300 strikeouts. I mean, he, you wouldn't think that about him because those, those top, the top like five strikeout pitchers of all time are those big power guys that threw really hard and threw it by you. In fact, one thing that I, that I forgot to mention, I was starting to about Walter Johnson was a thing I saw about him is he had one pitch. Walter Johnson had a fastball only. That's the only thing he threw. There, I, there are like two different guys that I saw interviews of that said, Walter Johnson really only threw a fastball, and he was that dominant with only a fastball. Um, but by the time you got to the 80s and 90s, when Greg Maddox and, and Randy Johnson pitched, guys were way too good at hitting uh, for you to only have a fastball. So these guys developed those, you know, Randy Johnson slider and Greg Maddox's everything. Um, just so impressive to watch these guys pitch. I'm so glad I got to watch those guys. And I wish I was, I wish those guys pitched more when I was in my late teens and twenties and now um, to, because I would appreciate them so much more as it's happening. But like we talked about, I love going back and, and looking at all, listening to the stories and looking at all the stats. I went way too long on my Mount Rushmore, but that's my Mount Rushmore. Please 
bless me with yours. We are we we we've got three of the four. So I went uh, I went my my number one is Christy Matheson. My number two is Walter Johnson. You had those two flip flopped, uh, and then I've got Cy Young at number three just because he's Cy Young. Mm-hmm. And you to to if you're doing a Mount Rushmore to leave of pitchers to leave Cy Young off of Mount Rushmore of pitchers almost seems blasphemous to me, right? <laughs> Uh, and then I had Greg Maddox at four. Now, I to be completely honest, I didn't know how many uh, how many pres- dead presidents were on the Mount Rushmore. So I had a fifth, and I had Pedro Martinez as number five. So wow. he was the one I knocked off. Now, that being said, to put a Mount Rushmore together of these guys, usually you're like, all right, I could probably you know got to do four. I got six guys. Who am I going to leave off? Something like that. I truly believe you can make a case. You already did for Randy Johnson. He was, he would have been my next one. Pedro Martinez, um, Sandy Koufax, who may be the best left-handed pitcher to ever walk the face of the earth. Um, You got guys like, I'm trying to go back in time first before I do this. So uh, obviously Bob Gibson, we've talked about him. Nolan Ryan, Tom Seaver. Uh, I even throw like a guy like Mariano Rivera in there. Obviously, you got Clayton Kershaw and somebody who maybe should be in over a couple of the others, but because of the steroids, maybe we're leaving them off. But Roger Clemens, statistics and overall dominance, Mm -hmm. he might have been the most dominant pitcher of his era, of of the early 80s well, mid-80s through through 90s, even into the two, early 2000s. Yeah. might have been the most dominant pitcher that we've ever seen or been a part of. It, it, more dominant than a Randy Johnson, more dominant than a Pedro Martinez. But I think he's got a stigma on him. If it wasn't for that, to be honest, I'd have him up there. I'd probably have him in there. But Maddox makes it for me, and, and Clemens is – the things Clemens did were unbelievable. And and then you've got new guys now that are still pitching now, like Kershaw, obviously, who's probably the closest to being in that possible list. But there's guys like Justin Verlander, who uh, probably not there, but you could easily go through his, his uh, repertoire or his statistics and everything he's done and put him into a really close case. I think a guy like Garrett Cole is going to be a guy we're going to talk about at some point. Chris Sale there for a while. Jake yeah. DeGrom. These are – those are – we are getting to see some really good pitching right now still. But for me, because it's a Mount Rushmore and all the guys on Mount Rushmore are dead, it's hard for me not to go Matthewson, Johnson, and Christy Madison, Walter Johnson, and Cy Young as the top three for me. Uh, and if I'd have to go with guys that are just guys that are dead, then I guess I'd have to put Bob Gibson up there next. Yeah. But yeah. Nolan Ryan, Nolan Ryan, talk about the domination of a ridiculous person, of a man, of a longevity of a pitcher, strikeouts, dominance. There's another guy. It's, this, is, this was difficult, but it's amazing that we came up with a lot. Three of the four are same. Yeah. I'm I'm a little surprised by that because there are so many guys like you just mentioned. You mentioned pretty much all of them that I would have too. I think the only guy um, that I would say that that I was really looking hard at um, that you did mention was Grover Cleveland Alexander. Um, 
He uh, he, he you could make a case for Lefty. You want to start getting into old timers, dude? Lefty Grove. You could go into Lefty Grove. Yeah. Uh, Bill, uh, oh, what's his name? Nietzsche or so? I can't remember. There's, there's, there's plenty of old timers that had some crazy numbers. Yeah. Not, but they're not as crazy as Walter Johnson, Christy Matheson, Cy Young. That's why I don't put them. Yeah, there, there's a lot of crazy numbers back in the old days when it comes to hitting and pitching. Yeah. So I, I, I kind of try to grab the best of the best when it comes to the old days. So, Chris, what is our Mount Rushmore for next Warren week? Warren Spahn. Warren Spahn Warren. could be. Sorry. Sorry. Yeah, I'm no, looking. absolutely. That's, I, when you were talking about him, I, or when you were talking earlier, I was looking at him. Um, so what, what, is, what are we going to do next week for the Mount Rushmore? Because I am so into this. And this could be we could we could just make our whole podcast about a Mount Rushmore. We, Mount, Mount we could Rushmore. be the we could do a whole new podcast call it the Mount Rushmore cast. Yeah, uh, the Rushmore cast. Um, well, I tell you what, I'm the one who said to do uh, all time starting pitchers, so I'm going to say that it's your turn, bub. No, I got. To we'll pick. just keep it with whoever has to pick the the comedy segment also has to pick the Mount Rushmore. Okay, that's fair. Uh, boy, was I not prepared for that. Um, okay, then I'm going to go to, to, you know, what I, what I enjoy and I love baseball and I could talk old baseball with you for hours and hours. Um, but I am even more comfortable with basketball, so I'm going to turn it there. And I'm going to say it, it's pretty – I don't want to do anything too complicated, but I want to do something kind of. You want to do something where you can determine people easier. You don't want to have to choose between 15 people, right? I know what you want to do. I'm totally good with it. Like the greatest, uh, the greatest, uh, what do you want to say? The greatest shooting guards in uh, San Antonio Spurs history. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not, maybe not that specific, but um, yeah, I think maybe we just, I, you know, where I would go to all the time, just my, my safest, most comfortable place is um, let's just do point guards. Let's do all-time point guards. All-time point guards. Okay. Uh, Adam Schmidt, all-time favorite, all-time point guards. Jerry West, um, all-time point guards. Jerry West, uh, Pistol Pete Maravich. Um, all time John Stockton and oh, who's your fourth? I feel like I pretty much did. I did I get that? Was I anywhere close? No. Oh, what a Jerry point. West is not a point guard. <laughs> he wasn't a point guard. No. Oh, I always thought he was a point guard. He's a shooting guard. Okay. He was a was guard he? slash forward, I think. Oh, was he? Well, he's only—he seems like he's only like five foot six. So I just figured he was a point guard. Oh no, he's—he's he's a pretty big guy, I think. Oh, was he? I don't know. I only see him sitting down. And I think he's mostly considered a shooting guard. Okay. All right. Well, did I get two of the two of the four down? No pistol. No. Pete? No, you got one. I know John Stockton. We all know John Stockton will be there. Yep. Pistol but, Pete. Uh, point not, guard, right? We got. Wait, this is for next week. I know. I was just messing around. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to reveal any of my, although I just said yes on John Stockton. But well, we all know John Stockton. It's the only person you ever talk about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I, I, I was just, I was only holding back when we were talking about the 
greatest of all time between LeBron and Michael. I mean, greatest, second greatest of all time is that conversation because obviously John Stockton, it just goes without saying John Stockton's the greatest player of all time. Sure, of course, yeah. For anyway, um, so let's do point guards. Uh, top four point guards. This is greatest now, right? This isn't favorite. This isn't favorite. No, this greatest. is what we think is the greatest. best four. Greatest, yeah, because you don't have to like somebody for them right. to be on this. No, greatest of all time. Correct. The Mount Rushmore. It's on the Mount Rushmore. The best exactly. of the best. Yep. All right, so that's Mount Rushmore. Um, it's like uh, it's like 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 I love peanut butter and jelly, but would I put that as my favorite sandwich or one of my favorite sandwiches? No, but does that go on the Mount Rushmore of sandwiches? Whew, buddy, I'd say it'd be pretty tough to leave that son of a gun off. You know what I Which mean? Which one did you say? Peanut butter and jelly. Oh gosh, if that's not if that's not number one, I think you're insane. It's the Michael sure, Jordan have, of sandwiches. But I love so many sandwiches that I can find yes. a lot of sandwiches I'd rather eat than a peanut butter and jelly. But when it comes to the Mount Rushmore, I feel like PB&J has got to be up there. Okay, we have to do sandwiches at some point. I'm not saying you have to pick it next week or I'm anything. I'm picking sandwiches in two weeks. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But be, next week, we're going to have to have a long conversation on what grades as a sandwich and what is not a sandwich? Okay, so, let me tell you right now, a hot dog is not a sandwich. Oh, I know that. I don't know, but but like wraps, do wraps count? No, wraps wrap is sandwiches. Not a sandwich. Okay, what about like a, a what a panini? Is that a sandwich? I feel like that's a sandwich. Eh, I mean, I'm not putting any paninis on my top on my Mount Rushmore, but I just yeah. want to make sure we got the rules. In I barely setting. know. Yeah, I barely know what that is. Isn't that, isn't that just like grilled bread? It's like with something in between, but two pieces yeah. of bread mashed down and like pressed somehow. Uh, That's a sandwich. Anyway, we'll do sandwiches in a couple of weeks then, or unless you decide something else, then I'll do no, it. No, I'm doing week. sandwiches for sure. And I'm already, I've already got, I think I've already got all four. So my, my, the, the coolest thing about the sandwich thing is now that I know in a couple of weeks, we're going to be doing that one. I'm going to start my research tomorrow. And by that, I mean I'm going to start eating a different sandwich or some of my favorite sandwiches. See, um, now this might – does this – I don't want this to be the favorite sandwich. This is the Mount Rushmore. Like, no, you're right. What makes the Mount Rushmore sandwiches? You don't have to like the sandwich. But See, if it's – That's like, going to be – that's going to be so hard because if you don't like the sandwich, you're not going to put it on the Mount Rushmore. Yeah, but if it's the most popular sandwich of all time, like if I don't like peanut butter and jelly, which for a lot of years I didn't eat peanut butter and jelly because I was never a peanut butter fan. So I wasn't, but so I didn't eat peanut butter and jellies. But that is without a doubt on the Mount Rushmore. Doesn't have to be anywhere near my favorite. I could think of a thousand sandwiches I'd rather have. Okay, it's good that that. we're getting. Yeah, we'll get into more detail because I feel like I just want to rattle off four classics that i don't feel like they'll ever be beaten we'll save it i've got three off the top of my head all right so that brings us to uh somebody who will never make my mount rushmore of anything uh except for maybe people in gold suits miss michelle buteau is that how you say it that that does bring us to that right after we very quickly make our nfl picks for the week against the spread we do it every week uh, last week was week five in the NFL. We started picking in week two, uh, so we're a week behind when we talk about our records and stuff. When you hear that, it's gonna not gonna it's not gonna make sense because we started in week two. But week five last week, um, I picked three. You picked the opposite of me, which was um, 
not a bad strategy. But I did go two and one, so that means you went one and two last week. Uh, total record uh, on the season, I'm now five and seven. You are now three and nine. So that's a two-game difference now. Uh, we don't have anything established yet for what the bet is for this yet, right? What, what the It may turn into, if the Dodgers don't win, this may turn into the two minutes or one minute or three minutes or whatever the total time is now. This might turn into the comedy because that's happening. But I thought we said we weren't going to wait until the end of the NFL season. I thought we were just going to wait until the end of baseball. No, we weren't going to wait to the NFL end of the NFL season to like add or subtract minutes. Okay. But if nobody wins or loses this, we're doing this at some point in time. Well, I already still owe a minute, I think, from basketball. But that's only if – so that's if you, if you were to have lost, you would have had to have done three minutes. Or if I lose, then I only got to do one minute, right? Because right. I get so, a So, but either – yeah, either way, one of us has to do a minute. Whether the – if the Dodgers win, you have to do a minute. If they don't, I have to do a minute. Oh, so if neither of us get anything right, then you have to do a minute because you owe a minute. I like – okay, yeah. I see where your head's at, and I'm totally good with it. All right, so then we'll think of something different for the NFL. All right, so uh, you are now – are you beating me? You're beating me by what? How many games? One game, I, two by games? By two games, yep. I'm five and seven. You're three and nine. Oh, that's terrible. But you can get that back in one week. It's, it's true. not out of, the, out of the realm of possibility. So um, – I will, I will go ahead and start it off. And uh, so Houston is at Tennessee. Tennessee is a three-point favorite at home. And I'm going to take the Tennessee Titans, who are – never mind, I don't have it pulled up. Um, I'm trying. I'm taking, my I'm taking yeah, I'm, t- I'm taking Tennessee. I might actually still have it. Yeah, I do. Um, well, who knows? Anyway, sorry. I'm taking Tennessee over Houston. Uh, to cover that three, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm taking my second game. Cleveland is at Pittsburgh, sort of a rivalry game there. Cleveland uh, offensively is pretty good these days, and uh, Pittsburgh was really good too. They had the whole COVID thing, so they're um, they're kind of like – I feel like it's going to be interesting, these teams that are having their games pushed back or canceled, it's going to be interesting to see how that – how that extra week off or a shortened week is going yeah. to affect these teams. I think that's going to have a big impact one way or another um, when that happens. So we'll see how Pittsburgh uh, bounces back because they did, they totally missed their game last week, right? Yes. I remember right. So, um, but they still are undefeated at 4-0. and They're right. playing a 4-1 and Browns team who's overachieving at this point in time. Yeah, and that's kind of where I was going with that. So I'm picking Pittsburgh. So Pittsburgh is a a three-and-a-half-point favorite at home there, and I am taking Pittsburgh uh, in that game. My last game, uh, and this was tough. I did not feel good about about more than one game. I think that Houston-Tennessee game I feel decent about. There are no other games when I was looking through the schedule that I felt pretty good about. So anyway, my last game – Arizona is a two-point favorite at Dallas. Now, picking Dallas here seems silly because Dak Prescott got hurt and is probably going to miss the whole season, right? Um, But our old boy, 
that Dallas made a great move, a great move in the offseason and signed a starting NFL starting quarterback as their backup, and it worked out perfectly for them. Yep. The red rifle, Andy Dalton, is now the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys moving forward. And uh, so he's going to get an opportunity, and he finished that game, and they won last week, I believe. Uh, So I'm going to take Dallas at home, a two-point underdog with my man Andy Dalton. I can call him my man now because he's not helping the Bengals lose games. I loved Andy Dalton as a Bengal, and no, I, did I too. and I and I was a I, I talked we talked about it on this podcast for years that I was an I was a Dalton apologist, and and I felt like when he had a line, he was really good quarterback. He was never great, but he was a really good quarterback. And when he didn't have a line, he didn't have time. He he wasn't a really good quarterback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, that being said, who did you take in that Texans game? The 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 Texans Titans, my, t- Tennessee giving three points to te- to, to Houston, Tennessee. And okay. let me remind you, you can take the same game and the same team as me. You can do that. No, I know, but that okay. seems silly. That because you stole my my Dallas pick, so I oh. gotta look for another one because I was gonna no, take. No, I Dallas. didn't steal it because you can do that. You can no, have you stole. No, you totally stole. You totally stole it. I was supposed to go first this week, pick my games first. You totally stole it. I was trying to give you time. No, no you totally stole it. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, I just looked at it as you were talking about it. I just looked at it as you were talking about it, and I was like, oh, I'd take Dallas in that game. <laughs> um, so I'm going to take the Texans plus three. Uh, I feel like that Texans team is a hard luck one in four. The Titans are phenomenal. Um, don't get me wrong. This Titans team is really good, really good on both sides of the ball. Their offensive line is superb. The holes that Derrick Henry hits, the size of the holes when he gets through them, and you get a big man with that speed running through that hole, it's hard for anybody to bring him down, especially Josh Norman. Did you see that? Yeah. Probably the greatest stiff arm I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, that was impressive. Threw Josh Norman to the moon. Um, I'm going to take the Texans anyway just because there's always some game where every single person and their brother picks one team and that team ends up losing. So I'm going with the Titans have their first loss. I'm taking the Texans outright in this game. Okay. Uh, the the next game I'm going to take is you've got Baltimore in Philadelphia. Uh, Baltimore is laying seven and a half. This Eagles team is the most frustrating team I've ever been a part of seeing. And I say I'm part of because I, I have Carson Wentz as a quarterback, and this week I'm not playing him. Um, You're basically on the team. I'm done. I am. I feel like I'm on the Eagles. Uh, however, I'm going to take the Ravens laying seven and a half in philadelphia wow um and then from there uh the only other game in here that i kind of like is the dolphins game um this jets team is the worst team and i've ever seen play set foot i mean this is worse than some of the 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 lions teams of the 90s this is worse than some of the Bengals teams of the 90s or the last couple of years so they might be worse than the 0-16 Browns from a couple years ago. This this Jets team is horrendous. I'm going to take the 2-3 and three Dolphins minus 9.5 in Miami. 
because you know they're going to Miami. That old New York Jets team's going down there and partying down. I know there's probably not a lot of stuff going on, but they're going to find a beach. They're going to find a boat to get on, and they're going to have some fun and get the uh, the old South Beach flu. Oh, yeah, there's plenty of stuff going on in Florida. Yeah. Uh, yep, there's, yep. Everybody's out there. Yeah, people are just partying like crazy down there and getting passing all kinds of COVIDs and coronas and everything around. Uh, yeah, syphilises and gonorrheas and all kinds of other stuff. All of it. Every single bit of it. Um, all right, so there, there are our picks against the spread. Uh, that, that finally takes us to the last part of today, and that is Michelle Buteau with her, um, her special Utopia, right? So when I picked this last week, I told you I was pretty excited because Cardi B, I heard Cardi B announce her in the very beginning, and I was like, cool, I'm in on this. And uh, I now, we now know why Cardi B was announcing her, right? Because the, during, during the stand-up routine, she talks about just rapping a movie with J-Lo and – I can only assume I haven't seen it, but there's like a movie about some like, I think it's about strippers or something that's got JLo and Cardi B in it. And this chick was probably obviously in it with them. Uh, therefore she got Cardi to do the voiceover in the beginning talks about JLo and the, and the movies she's been in uh, this. It, she was funny, right? She was funny. I'm not going to say she wasn't funny. I, I mean, it, she was funny. But I never just, like, she never caught me by surprise. I started busting out laughing. I knew what she was going to say before it came out of her mouth. Every time when she started a joke, it always ended exactly how I thought it was. I was never caught off guard and just cracked up, which that's what I love about comedy is the minds of some of these ding-dongs of what comes out of their mouths. She didn't surprise me with anything. She's pretty full of herself, uh, which I don't like in comedians. I like comedians that are real – uh, uh, not have we've talked about this before when these comedians get big and wealthy and making money and doing all these good things they just want to talk about everything that's good in their life that, that's that's what makes comedians so much fun is talking about what's so terrible in their life because we relate to it right and and they they over dramatize it to make it even funnier right so I I don't like that high high uh i don't know good for her i'm i don't know what the word is but good for her for being doing as well as she's doing but as far as i'm concerned that makes your comedy career go down so i hope your acting career is phenomenal from here on out honestly so i like she's getting work yeah pick up that clicky pen off the floor uh that you dropped uh <laughs> how much has it has it bothered you this episode uh, that that you can't grab my clicky pen out of my hand through the Zoom call. That's all right. You know what? I'm doing I'm doing this number with my regular cat pen the whole time. Can't hear it I'll though. It. You'll probably hear this. I've probably overtaken you on the Zoom call a couple times, and we're not going to be able to hear you in the in the YouTube version of this because. But it is what it is. <laughs> no. Um, all right. So I, I agree with with most of the stuff that you said there. Um, she was definitely feeling herself, which is good. You should be confident. And I, I, I'll tell you one thing that that made me think of when she was doing that is we've seen it, like you said, we, we've seen it plenty of times before, but especially when, when a comedian starts getting uh, a, a, a certain level of success 
and they understand that they're, they're getting pretty good at this. There's, I, I've got to, I, I kind of like tried to put myself in that, in that position. I've never been successful really at anything, <laughs> but the level of celebrity that hits you level of celebrity. Um, but, and that comes along with it. Um, but the feeling of being almost kind of adored, um, and because you get to make people laugh, you know, making people laugh, understanding you are providing a service that people love, you know, there's, there's no better feeling than laughing and, and yep. feeling joy. So when you have that kind of power over a room, I feel like that's part of what it is, is you feel powerful. Um, and it would be hard not to feel yourself kind of not to get a little like, man, I'm, I'm getting pretty good at this. And cause I'm getting love, I'm getting so much love poured on me from doing this pretty well and making people laugh and people like people like treat you like you are a level above a normal human being or something, which isn't not necessarily a good thing, but that's how it happens. We do that with, you know, we do that with, with athletes and stuff. Celebrities. Yeah. um, But I, I kind of, I just had a moment for some reason when I started to be like, Oh boy, here you go. Yeah. You're so great. I've never heard of you before this or whatever. I barely (laughs) heard of you before this, but yeah, you're so great. But there was just this moment that I felt that I'm like, you know what? And I think it was toward the end. She was walking off. I'm like, you know, she's getting like pretty big cheers and some laughs and stuff like that. I, that's got to feel something like even a guy like me who's who's like, you know, nervous all the time about, you know, and, and I want to be self-deprecating because I, I so badly don't want to be thought of as the, you know, a narcissist yeah. or something like that. And, yeah. You know, but it, there's got to be a feeling that would be hard to combat inside that you're like, man, this is, this is like, sure. I, I know. You, love me, you know, right. When you do do something really well and you get really good at it, you're, you want people to know sometimes, you know, you kind of want to say show off, but it, it, it's an ego thing. Everybody's got a little bit of an ego. And Absolutely. when you do do something well, it, it you know, you kind of like, Hey, by the way, Hey, Look at me. This is what I did. Just so you know. You guys, that thing was bothering the hell out of me. You guys. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We've seen Joey Votto talk like that. You know, when when he won the MVP in 2010, he's like, yeah, I I think I deserve this. Like he said that. LeBron said, give me, I want my respect. You know, my egg on respect. Yeah. And and, and so people do feel that When, when they achieve something great, you're like, you do feel that a little bit. And I, I when you put a lot of work into things too, I think that that's yeah. part of it. That is a big part of it. For 20 years or whatever. So, yep. Now she, uh, you know, she made me laugh a little bit, a couple of times. Uh, I think the hardest I laughed, she was talking about, she has kids and uh, I think she said she has twins and uh, she was talking about, you know, taking care of kids and stuff like that. And she said, uh, have you ever given a baby a bath? She's like they're she's like they're uh they're slippery AF or whatever. Yeah. When she said that, that was the one thing that caught me. It just like got me, I don't know, it just got me like just the right way or something. She yeah. said they're slippery as whatever. Um that just made me laugh. I don't know why, but 
besides that, there were a couple of other things. You know, she is generally funny, I think. You know, she had good ideas and stuff. But some of the, some of the mannerisms and the, just the personality coming out of it was a little bit annoying, I think. I think we feel the same way about that part of it. Yeah. So that, that made it a little hard to, to enjoy it fully. Uh, so I give her a 2.8. What do you got? 2.4. Pretty close. Pretty yep, close pretty close. That. I feel like we felt about the same on that one. It's too bad. I was pretty excited about it. But not, uh, I mean, she's not I was excited. I was excited because when I saw it, I didn't know who she was. Mm-hmm. And usually those are the guys who make me laugh because I don't know you and you're pretty new. But then I, then she comes out 20 years, done a couple movies, and I'm like, oh, son of a gun. I did it again. <laughs> My picks are always so terrible. <laughs> yeah, I, it really – that makes me think about uh, Tiffany Haddish. Like she has a, kind of a similar – like a parallel career because she yeah. – she was in the game for a long time before she really kind of took that Broke step through. and got the next, you know, took that next step. Um, okay, so I got a guy for you to try out. You may have seen him before. I, I, I feel like just in the last – I feel like I say this a lot too, but just in the last year, year and a half, maybe two, um, I've, I've started seeing this guy around a lot more. He's a um, – I think he's an L.A. – I mean, he's a New York comic, I'm pretty sure. Um, yeah, because he does the the, co- the comedy seller <clears throat> a lot. So his name is Chris DeStefano. Uh, he is – the first couple of times I saw this guy, I wasn't crazy about him. Yeah. The more I saw him, I feel like he's getting funnier. So I don't know how long he's been doing stand-up. He's not a super old guy. I feel like – I think he might be in his early 30s or something like that. Um, oh, I've seen this guy, yeah. Have you seen him? Okay. So, yeah, I've seen him before. Um, the last few times I've seen him, I thought he was a lot funnier. So, And he just put out a special not too long ago called um, – I think it's called Size 38 Waist. <laughs> funny. Nice. Just to give you your pants size. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Chris DeStefano, size 38 waist. It's on YouTube, by the way. So if you're, if you're watching us on YouTube or you're listening to this on any of the uh, platforms, any of the podcast uh, options, Chris DeStefano's special is on YouTube. So check it out there. So it's free. That's my guy. That's my guy. This All right. That sounds good. I'm in for this. Uh, before we end this, before we end this comedy segment, I would just like to say we have uh, done quite a few. We've had quite a few comedians on this on this uh, show at this point in time. Netflix popped up something that they thought that I would really like to watch. Right. They always know what I want to watch. Oh. Uh, that Hari guy's got a new special out. On Netflix, by the way. Hari, uh, I can't say his last name. H-A-R-I, you know what I'm talking about? Ken Konda, Kondabolu or something like that. Uh, I, anyway, that just popped up. But uh, so Netflix decided that I would really like um, – pull this thing up here so I can get exactly what it's called. I don't want to get it wrong. It's Burt Kreischer. Oh. And cabin, he's got a – The cabin thing? 
Yes, he's got a he's got a series, and it's called it's called The Cabin with Burt Kreischer. Adam, I watched an episode and a half so far. This might be my favorite show of all time. I am so happy that this show is a show. So anybody out there, at some point in time, I want you to watch this. Once you get through the season and you actually start watching it and you get through and get to do it, we're talking about this. The first episode, Joey Diaz and Tom Segura with him in a cabin in the woods. Dude, I never laughed so hard in my entire life. Joey Diaz is already – we've never done a Joey Diaz special. Mm-hmm. And – I'm going to tell you right now, he'd be on my Mount Rushmore of comics. Like I've watched a few of his specials and he's, I didn't start watching him until uh, I was listening to him on Joe Rogan. And then a few episodes, Joe Rogan loves the guy. Like Joe Rogan thinks he's the greatest thing in the world. And I started watching him and he's a pretty funny cat in the hum this show. Oh my God. That dude cracks me up. This whole show is funny. It's crazy. It's out there. But I definitely suggest watching this as a podcast. We need to talk about it at some point. I'm going to. I was planning on it. Um, I saw the trailer the other day, um, and it, there, there were some pretty funny-looking parts. And he's got a bunch of comedians on with him, so a bunch of comedians just hanging out doing silly stuff. Yep, it's going to be pretty good. Now I'm going to tell you, spoiler alert, Episode two, so Fortune Feimster mm-hmm. is on it. Nikki Glazer's on it, and Caitlyn Jenner spends the day on yep. at the cabin. Holy cow! Absolute hilarity, super funny, and they get serious about things every now and then. And it is what it is. But Bert Kreischer's not letting anything get super serious for a very long time without breaking it down and and throwing in a joke in there somewhere. I just can't wait. I can't wait. I'm excited. Yep. I'm not a, I'm not a, like a, Burt Kreischer has gotten huge in the last few years. He has. And I'm not a, I'm not a really, really big Burt Kreischer fan. I, I think he's fairly funny and he's very, he's pro, very prolific. He's putting out a lot of content because he does at least two, I think three podcasts. Um, he and Tom Segura are really funny together. They're like best friends. Yep. And, um, there's a big tennis match. I don't know if you know about that. They've both been like, as just like part of like training and trying to get in shape and stuff, they've both been taking like uh, private tennis lessons. And so they have this big match. They're going to do a match against each other and they're putting out like promo videos and the one that they both put one out and Tom Segura's, I was, it was like, it was like 1230 at night last night. And I saw Tom Segura's on his Instagram and I, I text my brother and I sent it to him. And I was like, this just made me laugh really, really hard when I'm supposed to be trying to go to sleep in bed just now. Oh, my gosh. So funny. Those two guys, they do the podcast, Two Bears, One Cave. I don't know if you've heard it, but it's, it's, that's really funny. And, uh, but so Burt Kreischer by himself, not huge, but he does a lot of stuff with Tom Segura and a lot of stuff with other comedians. And, and he's good with other comedians. I totally agree. We've talked about it. I don't understand the shirt off thing. I, if he put yeah. a shirt off, he'd probably be funnier. I, I don't like it. After watching this, this dude is totally comfortable with his body. It's like me, a big fat dude 
who just, I don't care. You want to look at my butthole here? Here it is. Take a look at it. You know what I mean? <laughs> is what it is. At one point in time, he says, he's, he grabs some nair and sticks it in his butt crack and he can't reach it and get it off. And Nikki Glazer's walking in and he's like, listen, listen, if you're really into this Me Too movement, don't come in here. But if you're okay, if you're okay with looking at my butthole, come on in. And she goes, yeah, okay. I'm, I'm consenting before I come in. And she's like, oh my God, that really is your butthole. <laughs> <laughs> super, super funny. I think it's hilarious. But the dude works really hard. He shows how hard. I mean, he, he really yeah. does a lot of stuff. Yeah. Uh, including probably drinking too much and everything else. So uh, it's really funny to ask the, the whole way that he starts the show and why he's doing it. Uh, and, and then it goes off the rails, obviously. So his wife gets a kick out of that. But um, I, I definitely think we watch it. But before we get too far off, Chris Stefano, size 38 waist next week. We've got the Mount Rushmore of point guards next week. We will have uh, a World Series starting next week. Mm -hmm. What looks like we'll be starting next week. Um, so I'm we've got more. Yep, we've got exactly. We've <laughs> got a lot of stuff going on here, bud. We've got a lot of sports still coming. Obviously, our NFL picks. And uh, yeah, I'm ready to go, man. If you're good, let's 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 go ahead and kick this thing off to next week. Absolutely. Sounds good. Don't forget to turn your headlights on. <laughs>